0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dave from Chase The Summit. Today I've got a special episode for you. Uh, today we're gonna be talking about all things to know about uh, beginning in ultra running, getting into your first ultra, you've signed up on ultra sign up or run reg or whatever, and you wanna know what comes next. What to wear, what to pack, uh, what piece of gear is most important, how many miles should you have ran before All those things we are going to try to answer today. We're also going to talk about a bunch of other stuff because we tend to wander in our conversations. And I do have a special guest today joining me. He's going to be kind of a uh, co-host for this show. And that is Ryan Clayton, who is a fellow YouTuber and he's also a fellow ultra runner. He's much faster than I am. So we can take his advice as well. You can find Ryan over on YouTube under Ryan Clayton, of course. You can also find him on Instagram and Facebook. So go check him out. And with that out of the way, let's get into it uh welcome to the show ryan clayton how are you tonight how's it going today it's two o'clock it's not even nighttime yet is it two
1: o'clock or is it 10 p.m i'm not sure
0: (laughs) i don't even know anymore it's weird because i've I've, the room's so dark and i've i tried to yeah
1: and we only talk at night usually so this is this feels off it's just when you have so much going on it's like does it really matter what time it is no no it doesn't
0: Uh, Congratulations on
1: 10k, by the way. That's
0: a big milestone. Thank you. Thank you For the listeners that don't know I should probably introduce you first, huh? Yeah, (laughs) so this is Ryan Clayton. He's joining me tonight We're gonna talk about uh, ultra racing and what it's like getting into it and what you should know before you get into your first ultra of whatever distance and Ryan has a YouTube channel where he uh, talks all things ultra running Way more than I do, and he's got trip reports and race reports and all kinds of great training, uh, tips and tricks and good stuff. So, check him out at is it Ryan? Is it youtube.com/slash Ryan Clayton?
1: Do you have that? No, that <laughs> one has been taken by somebody else that doesn't, I don't no. think they upload anymore. It's like some video game channel. No, I've reached, I've tried to reach out to them, and it's just they're just unresponsive. So, mine is Ryan Clayton Films, Ryan which Clayton is like films. okay, it's fine, yeah. Um. We should all. Yeah.
0: If you're listening, send some hate mail to Ryan Clayton. Not this Ryan Clayton. No, but don't. The other. I want that. <laughs> we, we need to sweet talk that guy. <laughs> all right, send him twenty dollars. Everybody, all ten. Everybody, of you. maybe that will work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, man. So today I just wanted to talk. Um, first of all, what was your what was your first ultra?
1: Yeah. Uh, so my first ultra was. Uh, and if I have to remember the year, I'm not positive, but I know the race, it was the Jackson County 50 miler down mm-hmm. in, uh, Southern Indiana. And, uh, it was like, I kind of picked it based off of timing. Like it was just right in the calendar. Um, I had done a couple of trail marathons. Um, I was really big in a triathlon, um, done just like countless number of sprints and Olympics, um and a couple half Ironmans, and then um, I had not done a full Ironman yet by the time I did my first Ultra, so I was kind of like doing both for like maybe two years. Uh, but yeah, Jackson County, 50 miler. <clears throat> what, ma- like, what made you jump to 50 miles and skip the 50K? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think it was just like I was looking at, because there was a 50K option at this race that I went to, um, but for some reason going an extra what is it 5 miles or I don't even know how long is a 50k 31 You're miles 32 yeah <laughs> 32 well, yeah so going an extra like 31.5 yeah. or
0: something I don't know the exact numbers here yeah
1: it seemed like cuz I'd already done two trail marathons I was like I'm pretty sure like I could just you know finish a 50k like at this point so the 50 miler felt like a really huge challenge and it felt like something that I could um like really focus on and something that scared me too because that was that was the other thing that I needed something that um scared me into training harder than I already was (laughs) (laughs) so looking at being on the trail for anywhere between like 10 to 12 hours is kind of what I was anticipating uh you know that had scared me because at the time I'd only my longest endurance event was a half Ironman and I think that was like somewhere around like five hours, five or six hours, something like that. Mm. So the thought of doing a 50 miler being out there literally all day (laughs) from sunrise to sundown uh, was quite frightening. And so that was one of the uh, reasons why why it pushed me into doing a 50 miler because it scared me.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I think the default (laughs) is, you know, everybody's like, well... Yeah, I guess I'll go for a 50k right after the marathon. Now, here's a question I I I see all the time asked. People ask me, "I'm not a coach. I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I just get on the trail and run." But people are always mm-hmm. like, "Do I need to run a marathon before getting into ultras?" And I always say no. How do you feel about that?
1: I would agree that no. Uh you don't have to. Um I think you know, probably the smartest way to do it if you have time and you're not um, you know, wanting to just dive in and uh, just figure it all out, uh, jumping into the deep end. I think the smartest way to do it is probably to build up because you can learn a lot from each distance and then take that into the next one. Um, but for, for me personally, it was from marathon up to 50 miler. And um, yeah, I like I, I think that it would be wise if you were giving advice to tell people to just step it up one at a time because yeah. there is a there is quite a big difference between running a 50K and a 50 miler. And there's a big difference between running a marathon and a 50K, especially if maybe you've done a, a road marathon and you're thinking about doing your first trail ultra. They're very different. Yeah. And a 50K uh, trail ultra marathon is going to feel... Like, uh, I mean, it depends on how hard you race it, but, and how hard you raced your road marathon. But if, if you were in that specific situation, like it could be a pretty big difference. So I don't think there's any rules. Uh, I think you can definitely benefit by, um, learning by stepping up though.
0: Yeah, for sure. There it is funny though because you look at like 50k and 50 miler and on paper like they just look similar. <laughs> so like, oh, you know, maybe I should just go for the 50 miler, but you're talking another freaking 18 more miles on top of your 50k. And that, that's the yeah. hardest part of the race, right? The, the final miles um uh-huh. uh, when when you like for me, my first 50k, when I got to the finish line, I actually had a pretty decent time, but when I got there, I was like I can't imagine I was like, this is enough. We should stop here, Dave. (laughs) This, this is good. I can't imagine going another 18 miles. And of course, you know, later on it happened, but that first one, um, that was an eye opener for me. Uh, so you just, you just finished the OPSF 50 K right? Yeah. Congrats congrats on that man. Pretty aggressive, pretty aggressive time. What, What did you finish in on that?
1: Um my finish time was 5 hours and 43 minutes. Nice. Um and yeah, it was really like it was a really great race surprised me um because my like I'm training for the Cruel Jewel 100 and uh this was a tune-up race and it wasn't like perfect timing because it was uh, about 7 weeks out from my 100 so you know typically I like to do a really hard effort four weeks out, which is like, usually I'll do a 50 miler if possible, but there's just with everything that's going on in the world right now and races and timing of everything. There just wasn't anything specifically in that, uh, exact weekend. Uh, and so the OPSF 50 K, uh, they tip, they normally have a 50 miler option, but they didn't this year because of, uh, they, just restrictions, uh, from the park service, I think, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really good day and it was far enough out from my hundred that I knew that I could go out and put in like a really serious, hard effort. Um, and so pretty much from the start, I decided that I was going to try and race it. Uh, and if I got a couple miles in and was just like having a really bad day, then I'd just back off. Um, but that course looked, just, for people who don't know, he's got a whole video about this. It's really awesome. Go check it
0: out. But the course looked super muddy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. given that, that makes your time even more impressive.
1: Yeah, because like most of the trails are horse trails, because it's in a oh, it's in are, an area that those are has. Gnarly. A, yeah, it's like really popular horseback riding area in this. Uh, uh, s- s- uh, OPSF, O-N Putnam State Forest. So in this state forest, uh, it's really popular for horseback riding. So all the trails are really wide uh, and they're really like rutted out from horses. Uh, I mean, just like holes everywhere. And then also like compounding that is that this particular area uh, geographically is like a natural spring area. And so water is just always present on these trails, <laughs> even if it hadn't rained in two months, uh, it's just perfect spot
0: for a trail race. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's just water underground and it's just constant. And so, uh, we kind of had the perfect, uh, concoction for having an incredibly muddy day because the race was on Saturday and pretty much all day Thursday. And then Friday morning it rained. <laughs> and so the, the course only had about like 12 hours to dry out and there was just no chance. So it was, it was very Uh, I mean, within, within five feet onto the trail, you're already, your feet were, uh, completely soaked (laughs) and you just knew that it was, that was the plan for the day is this, there's, there's no getting dry. Just, there's no way around it. Like if you want to run through the bushes and through the trees, fine. But like, just run through the middle of the trail. Cause With, it's, you're going to get muddy. You're there's no chance. <laughs> there's no way you're keeping your shoes clean.
0: That sounds a lot like, um, the Vermont 100 trails. Uh, they're all, it's mm. all horse trails. I mean, the race was founded mm. on horses, right? And they actually, up until, yeah. up until last year or the year before, cause it was canceled. The horses ran alongside the runners and that's what made it so special every year. Wow. Um, that's, I think that's, Done though. I, I don't think they're gonna continue doing that anymore. But yeah, super rutted out, super mm. puddles everywhere, just gnarly deep mud. Good, yeah, good times. Did you like bring a pair of extra socks or anything for that?
1: Yeah. So there was the course is set up like uh, a lollipop, and so you've got um, a trail like three miles out, and then there's a kind of like a circle trail, uh, and so right at that intersection, you're allowed to have a drop bag. So I think you see it like. Uh, I don't know, nine or 10 times because you do this, you do three lollipops. <laughs> uh, and so in that drop bag, I had a pair of shoes and an extra pair of socks and like a towel uh, and extra shirt. Um, but then I just had the rest of it was just like gels. Um, and I, the only thing I touched in that bag was the gels. Like I thought about pulling out the shoes. Like I thought maybe, you know, cause I, the shoes I wore um, were the Hoka Torrent 2s and they're not the best for mud running. Um, and so I was a little concerned and so I had Solomon Wildcross in there as well in the drop bag, but I ended up not even pulling them out because it just, it didn't matter. Like there was so much mud and it was so deep that I think you could have been barefoot and had about as good traction as yeah. I had in any pair of shoes. Yeah. At a certain uh, point, so it was the, just, the treads yeah. on the
0: shoe aren't going to do much if it's just like full out liquid.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, the, the main thing, like there was, there was no traction. <laughs> so like what you were trying to do was just keep your center of gravity, uh, like above, I don't know, above your feet. Uh, you're just trying to stay upright the whole time. <laughs> um, but it was really cool. I mean, just kind of like, just really pushing it just keeping the foot on the gas and just like blasting like downhill, just kind of, uh, I mean, in the back of my mind, I was a little worried. I was like, yeah, what if I do get injured or something? but I just like kept pushing and just really just tons of adrenaline, like running with uh, the leaders um, That's awesome. and yeah. was able to hold my own and uh, had a good result. So I was pretty happy with it. Although running, yeah. running with the leaders is
0: um, it's fun and exciting, but also terrifying because you're like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> oh yeah. Like why am yeah. I up here?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well the first like couple of miles I was just like, uh, this is fun. We'll see how long it lasts. Uh, you know, yeah. probably one of these aid stations, I'm going to, you know, stop to get something and start cramping, and then I'll just like find my place in the middle of the pack. Uh, but that just never came and kind of blew through a lot of the aid stations just because I had gels on me. I didn't need to stop. I didn't stop once for food at any of the aid stations. I did uh, fill up my bottles with water at all of them after maybe the second or third aid station. I think I went maybe seven or eight miles uh, on just my the two bottles I started with. And then I started filling up at each aid station because it started getting really hot. Yeah. I uh, got up in the mid-70s. Ooh,
0: um, nice. But, I'm jealous.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that was just like one day. I mean, yesterday here, it was like 45 degrees. So it's just spring in the Midwest. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, we got that. Saturday here was 74. It was yeah. amazing. I have a... Video I'm posting tomorrow, just running in like shorts was mm-hmm. amazing, and then today and yesterday, uh, I think yesterday was like 40, today's 38. So oh, geez. good times. Yeah. The Northeast, or the, the Beast mm-hmm. Coast. You're in the Beast Coast too, mm-hmm. right? We can call Indiana the Beast Coast.
1: I don't. I wouldn't claim to be on the Beast Coast. <laughs> I don't know how it's actually broken down. I saw some map, some like Beast Coast trail runners account posted or something. And Indiana was in it, but I would consider us Midwest, um, like just kind of like mostly, mostly flat land, just kind of like weird weather, uh, <laughs> kind of, you know, just kind of like, I mean, we like in the winters we run on treadmills for the most part. And then, Same. you know, we try to try to get into summer and, but our spring is about Maybe two or three weeks long and falls about three or four weeks uh, so we have really good weather about like seven or eight weeks a year, and the rest of it is either like ice cold, just uh harsh wind or it's like ninety five and a hundred percent humidity
0: yeah man so. I mean that sounds a lot like the east coast to me <laughs> pretty similar yeah. so uh yeah. back back to uh the beginner fifty k runner. Um, I've got some notes, so I'm trying to keep yeah. my, keep my brain on track. Um, so there's a lot of misconceptions I think a lot of people have before getting into their first ultra, right? Whether it be the 50k to 100 mile, whatever that first race is. Um, a lot of people ask me how you know how many miles a week should I be running before I get to the race? You know, in your training, and that, I think that's such a hard question to answer. But I want to hear your take on that.
1: Yeah. Um. So miles per week uh, is a question that's very common, but it's also very hard to answer because um, for a lot of reasons, number one, everyone's unique. And so, uh, you know, your next door neighbor might be able to run 75 miles a week, but that would not be smart for you to do, Um, you know? But then the other side of it is that it just, it changes throughout the year. Mm. So when you're six months out from your ultra, like you should be running a different, uh, you should have sort of a different weekly plan than when you're six weeks out, you know? Um, but I would say, uh, generally for most people, once you start getting into the heart of your training, kind of that, like 18 to six weeks out, kind of right in there, like those 12 weeks, like you can split it up into kind of like four week blocks. Um, if you want to think about it like that. Um, and then I would say like in there, Uh, you want to be building throughout that. And then mainly your focus for a beginner should be on your one long run a week and just be building like stay consistent through the week, but then build up your long run to a point where, uh, if you're training for your first 50 K by the time you get to the race, you should have maybe four or five, three or four, uh, 20 to 25 milers that you've done. Uh, and pretty done, pretty confidently, um, like in a way where you are, you know, fairly relaxed. Your nutrition is going okay, or you're at least figuring it out. Hydration is okay. Um, really, what you want to do is like focus on those long days and practice for the race. Um, and then, like I said, throughout the week, just stay consistent. Consistency. It's also it's also okay if some of your runs are only three or four or five miles. That's not a big deal at all. How do you how do you feel um, about um,
0: the the conversation of mileage versus time on feet. I'm a big time on feet guy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's for most people, uh, time on feet is probably a good, a really good approach. Um, but a lot of people don't think like that either. A lot of people are mile driven. So I think you just, um, again, I think it varies from person to person. Some people that I coach like really like seeing seven miles on the schedule. Others want to see 90 minutes. Yeah. And it's just like, that. just, it it just depends on the person. I think think at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of, they kind of are just the same. It's just like a different approach, a different way of thinking about it, whatever motivates you.
0: I feel like um, Strava changed the perception of, um, (sighs) yeah like training for everybody. I actually talk about this in my video. I have coming out, whether or not Strava is healthy or not. (laughs) Like sometimes I Mm -hmm. question it myself because you look at, you know your profile it shows right at the top how many weekly miles you're getting, and it's uh, yeah. I don't know sometimes it gets to be a little bit much. You start obsessing over like oh, I got to hit that number and what can I do? And um, yeah, I just wonder sometimes if we're focusing on the wrong thing. But people like numbers. Yeah. We like to see nice round you know seven point zero zero. I mean hell I I can't mm-hmm. finish a run at five point nine six miles. I'm gonna run that extra point zero four till my watch beeps because that would be, uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know, my, my OCD would be triggered on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think, you know, generally for that too, it just varies person to person, like someone, someone that really, um, like someone who's like maybe like easily injured or, um, like has a hard time kind of like controlling their pace or different things like that. Strava might be a little bit of a, a negative, impact on your training if you're if you're just doing it for the numbers and for that social perception but on the other hand Strava can be really motivating because uh, it can hold you accountable and even if you only have like 15 or 20 friends or whatever they call it on Strava um, you know finishing out you know that hour long run or that five mile run instead of quitting early like that's that's a good accountability to have and I think it's also, um, I mean, it, it is really fun if you keep it in a, keep it healthy, uh, like don't obsess over everything, but it is fun to see what your friends are doing. And, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, one thing that, uh, like, it's kind of hard to like describe like on the spot, but there is definitely like an accountability that comes with it. That is really motivating. Um, especially when you do start stacking up your numbers, like throughout, the season, like you start seeing that graph go up or whatever. Um, if you want to, like, if you are training for something big, like an ultra, I mean, it's, it's really, really easy to quit runs early or, you know, just like take an extra day or two off. Um, but if you can keep that, uh, the, I don't know if you, what you want to call it, but like if you can keep it in a healthy zone, it's good to have that type of accountability.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree, except for like when you stumble across Jim Walmsley account and he's got like, you know, 20,000 feet of vert and 10 miles and he's running at a 650 pace. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm like, well, I guess I'll just get rid of my shoes and uh, <laughs> pick up a new hobby. <laughs>
1: yeah. But uh, yeah, that's you know, funny.
0: Two sides to the, the coin, you know?
1: Yeah. Looking at the pros doesn't really bother me. Like the the times where I do like... Where I do kind of like get into this area of okay maybe this isn't healthy is when I start looking at um, like people that are training for the same thing I'm training for. Oh yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, like if I know three or four of us are doing this race, uh, sometimes I I do catch myself going oh crap. <laughs> like he did he did 25 miles today uh, or yeah. yesterday. Like man I really need to you know maybe I should be doing that too. Uh, that's where I kind of do struggle with it. If, if I do struggle with it ever, it's, it's comparing myself to people that are in the same exact position as me and wondering if I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. (laughs) When at the end of the day, like you have to listen to your body, you have to be good to yourself. Um, but you do need to push yourself if you want to, like, if you want to train for big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's two ways. It's a personal decision for sure.
0: The the Strava thing I'm always, perplexed on because sometimes I look at it and like you said, I think, yeah, it's more about like people that I feel like are on the same level and I see them Mm -hmm. have like killer weeks or they do a killer event or something. I'm like, man, I really need to step up my game. But at the same time, that's good for me. I should be stepping up or trying to step up my game. So Mm I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's that it's, it's becoming like, it's, it's, it's a social media. So it's like Facebook. It's like Instagram. Um, although most people put everything on Strava. And so it kind of is, it kind of is a more complete picture like Facebook or Instagram. It's like you, you put your best picture on there. You know, yeah. you take 200 pictures on your phone and you post the best one. Uh, where yeah, Strava is just you don't- like, you
0: you don't post pictures of yourself like laying on the ground crying (laughs) whereas that that story can be told in your gps file when you're at a Mm -hmm. standstill pace in one spot for (laughs) the course of your uh 50 miler a little Mm -hmm. bit different
1: yeah so it it does it does kind of tap into those dangers that we have with social media and um confidence and uh, uh comparing yourself and um just like it could like it could tap into envy it could tap into a lot of these areas that you don't want to mess with um but i think you know for the most part as long as you just try and keep it chill and try not to obsess on it or focus on it the the one thing i really
0: really don't like about strava this is all new is their new um fitness trends have you have you checked yours and are you uh subscribed to like the paywall thing
1: Yeah, I am, but I don't really use any of it. So yeah, it's the only thing I do use is go ahead. Yeah. The only thing I do use is I think this is behind the paywall is, uh, the goals section. So like, I'll put on there that I want to hit like 55 miles a week or something. And then that is kind of, um, encouraging to like look at that and like keep track of that. Or for me, like a certain number of, feet of vert per week or miles per year. Um I do use that and that helps me stay motivated. I don't know if that's behind the paywall or not. I but think it I don't now. think I really use anything yeah other than that.
0: So they they rolled out something similar to like Garmin's you know fitness tracking stuff where Garmin will give you your VO2 Max or whatever, but um Strava gives you like on a scale of zero to a hundred percent your fitness potential or something like that mm. so it shows me back in 2019 at like 98 and then it's just like this rapid drop to my current like fitness now and i know mm. it's not accurate in, in like any sense of the word um i also know i'm not in the same shape as i was then but i know it's not that dramatic of a difference it's just wildly off i don't know what what metrics they're what data they're trying to use um to come up with these numbers but it It's not something anyone should look at because it's, unless it makes you feel better and it's like a uphill climb. Mine doesn't look that way.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think those types of numbers, um, like when you are looking at um, like your, your trends that you really have to have all of your data in there. And it it has to be years of data stacked on Mm -hmm. Uh, like, and that's why like I only use training peaks for that. Um, or their, their actual, um, desktop software, WKO. Um, I use that and like swear by it, but Strava, Garmin, Coros, like anybody else that's come out with their own type of, um, uh, stress score sort of, uh, calculations. I just don't even really bother looking into it because it, like, I already have something that really works well and that I can trust, um, and i think everyone's just kind of playing catch up with training peaks they have been for 10 years. Um, I do like um just,
0: i've been using garmin forever so i've got like this huge yeah. history like i can go back 5 years and see my vo2 max trends over the past 5 years and if it's not even though it's 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 definitely not accurate i'll say that but mm-hmm. it's like because i know the way i know the offset of how you know, where my fitness was at certain points of, d- during that time enough to know like it's it's fairly accurate for a baseline for me, like personally. Mm-hmm. And that if I see things get better or worse, it's probably generally pretty safe to assume I'm doing something right. Um, but it is, yeah, it'll, it's frustrating some days you'll go out and your watch is like, you're detraining. <laughs> and you're like getting ready to, and you're feeling great, ready to go out for a really good run. And it's like, nope, you should probably yeah. sit on the couch today. I don't know how. M- How much um, sense that makes.
1: Um, Well, the other side of it, too, is that, like, if you use different watches, um, they're going to, they're all going to be off of your total fitness a little bit. Yeah. And they all do it differently.
0: Like, if you use a Polar Grid X Mm -hmm. and then use a Garmin and then a Coros, they all give you different numbers. It's not consistent at all. That's why I've considered um, going to a lab just for the heck of it to know, like, what is actually right <laughs> we've yeah. got we've got one in boston it's fairly affordable uh, seems like it's it would be a fun experiment
1: i've thought about doing that too um like for most people knowing your vo2 max gives you very little value at all yeah. uh, but i thought about testing it just to see what it is uh yeah. but i think i looked up i think my closest place to get to is like chicago or something um I mean, they have labs uh, at Purdue at IU, um, but just general public can't walk in, or even like staff like can't just use it. It's meant specifically for like their collegiate athletes. Just wait till they
0: turn the lights off, and you hop on the treadmill. You put the mask on. There you go. And you- <laughs> yeah,
1: you can definitely
0: do that by yourself, and not get caught. Yeah. So uh, going back to your, what was it Jackson fifty miler? Was it the first?
1: Yep. Okay. Jackson County, 50 miler.
0: When you walked away from that, do you, can you recall like one tidbit of like something you learned along the something you learned along the way, or maybe something you wish you had brought or something you
1: brought that you probably didn't need? Um, yeah, I think, um, there was, you know, it was really one takeaway, but it kind of had two sides to it. And it was that the body is much stronger than you think it is and so is the mind but they're different games that you have to play um like and they will they will uh they will become weak at different times this so you're going to have to be philosoph- like,
0: philosophical about
1: <laughs> it <laughs> yeah well it's like you it comes out of nowhere because all of a sudden like you'll be at mile you know, 18 or something of a 50 miler and your legs feel like they're going to give out, but your mind is strong and you're like, nope, keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And then you get to like mile 27 of a 50 miler and your legs are feeling fine, but your mind is like, hold on, we're only halfway there. Like, no, (laughs) we're, we got to stop this. Like, this is dumb. Like we got to stop. So like, you got like, you know, the body can go like much, much farther and longer than you think it can, um, and that sometimes becomes less of an issue the longer you go. But the mind and like doubt and just honestly boredom too, yeah, yeah. Uh, can cause sometimes bigger problems. And I, I don't want to like, uh, I don't have any statistical research or anything like that. But I, th- I would assume from people I talk to that most DNFs are because people just give up. And yeah. not because their legs stop working or anything like that. I would, like I would that.
0: say either uh mental mentally giving up or an injury mm-hmm. are probably like yeah. all of the DNFs. Because if your body is physically capable of taking another step, um yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. But I would say like yeah. I think I think you know, just like being done with it, being over it. Like I know <laughs> I know a guy that dropped out of a hundred miler at mile 97 What? because he was bored oh. and he hated it. And it was, he was like, like they went to a restaurant and like got a beer afterwards. Oh man. Like, because he was just over it. He could have call that anymore. in
0: three miles. I wow. know.
1: And that's like, <laughs> I give him crap about that every time I hear about it. And he's just like, yeah, I don't even care. He's like, I, he's like, I literally, there was, there was, there was no reason to finish. He's like, I didn't care. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my gosh. He (laughs) was like, yeah, we were just done. And I think, you know, so watching out for that. Um, but yeah, I mean the mental, the mental, uh, ups and downs are something that you can't always prepare for. Uh, in fact, I don't know if you really can, uh, really prepare for like the major, uh, like mental downs that you might come across like yeah. in the middle of an ultra um, because I think yeah so- something I,
0: mean, I tell people like getting into ultras is you're gonna even if it's a 50k I mean unless you're feeling really good that day there's gonna be a down point like there's always a down point in everything that's yeah. that long when you're out there for mm-hmm. five to seven hours or at a hundred miler a hundred miler there is guaranteed to be a downside like one point where you're like why the hell am I here? <laughs> like, yeah. what? Did, why did I sign up for this? What am I doing? Um, and mm-hmm. even if you're having the best hundred of your entire running career, you, everybody feels that. Even Jim, you know Jim Walmsley and Sage Canada, those guys definitely have days like that too. So that's mm-hmm. definitely something I try to tell people. You know, getting into ultras, one thing. I It's funny you mentioned like there's the the mental component and the physical. A lot of times when I'm in like, uh, racing environment or a long run, I kind of feel like, I'm uh, I'm like in a cockpit, <laughs> like in my head and I'm like, just, I've got my foot on the gas and a steering wheel and my body's a yeah. vehicle, you know, and it's, it feels, it, it very much feels that way. Um, hmm. because you can, you can kind of, you know, pull the throttle and then you can see it not paying off when you're going up a hill and you got to like control it a little bit, especially when you get it yeah. in, you know, longer in those, those miles. Um, when you, when yeah. you did your first ultra, you had triathlon background, so you kind of knew yeah. how to fuel and you know, what, what to eat and drink and stuff.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah. So it yeah, wasn't a learning so,
0: experience for you.
1: Yes. And no, because in a triathlon, you are very much relying on like sports drinks and gels. Like it's pretty much just like straight, um, that kind of product, like the really fast energy, um, because even an Ironman, um, I mean, some people do take 17 hours to finish an Ironman. Um, but the majority of people are doing it in like under 13 or 14 hours. Um, I think the one, one I finished was like 11. So I think, is that right? I don't know. (laughs) I'd have to, somebody look it up. (laughs) Ironman Louisville, uh, find my name. Um, I don't even remember the finish time. That's funny. Uh, but even that you can go. Yeah. Uh, 2016. Um, you can, you can go the whole thing on just gels and sports drink. Um, you don't like if you're, if you're staying consistent with it now, if you go through a period of time or a couple hours where you're just refusing to eat or drink anything, like you can get yourself into some serious trouble, but yeah, yeah. The, the learning curve that happened to me or the change that I had to make going into ultras was that, um, you do, uh, probably want to teach your body to be able to digest solid food, uh, during a race. Um, and that was sort of difficult, sort of not, I mean, it just, it all depends on the intensity you're going. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're climbing up a mountain, uh, and you're going at a, just a, you know, a, a normal human pace and you're going <laughs> up a mountain for two hours. Like you can eat a lot of food, you can eat a lot of solid food. Like, um, you know, but if you're really pushing it and you're kind of in that, uh, race zone the whole time, like zone three, zone four, heart rate, stuff like that. Um, you're not going to be able to process a lot of that and you do need to rely more on sugars and gels and drinks. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the biggest change that jumping into ultras is that, you know, it's okay to stop at an aid station and get some stuff that you would normally eat for a snack at home or something like, you know, chips or um, whatever, like even soup. Soup is great at night, Uh, just that kind of stuff. And uh, you just don't really ever see that kind of stuff in shorter events that are like two, three, four, five, six hours.
0: Yeah. I had a different approach to it because I, I was just like a hiker, trail runner, dirt bag and I got into yeah. trail running paid $25 to get in my first 50k and mm-hmm. I I was not used to that level of like sustained output for like in a race environment people are you know everyone's cheering and other people are running so mm-hmm. I was definitely trying to like stay stay in the front of the pack and push myself a bit more so I definitely ran into the issues of like trying to jam a PB&J down while running too hard and then cramping up because mm-hmm. I wasn't digesting properly, um, but yeah, a good point. With the with the the um, terrain can actually benefit you if it's like a super yeah. hilly race. You come out of an aid station. Yeah. There's a huge climb. That's like perfect opportunity to throw down a bunch of calories um, and let your body yeah. digest it without hustling too much.
1: Yeah, because my first hundred was the grindstone 100, and I didn't have any issues with fueling during that race because there's like. Twenty six thousand feet of elevation gain there, right? Um, yeah, I think it's twenty. Yeah, twenty six or something like that. Yeah, twenty three maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're doing a lot of hiking. Um, and I finished that race middle of the pack, so it wasn't like I was, you know, at the end or anything. Like, but most people in that race hike a majority of it. Oh and, yeah. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I mean, there's some climbs that are, you know, there's I think there's one or two. 3000 foot climbs. And so you might be hiking for two hours. (laughs)
0: Yeah. You could have a conversation (laughs) snack.
1: (laughs) Yeah. In that time you have plenty of, like you could eat a pizza (laughs) and your body could digest it, you know? So, uh, you know, but not, not if you're pushing yourself really hard, but yeah, that's like the biggest thing is the terrain. Um, and that's one thing that I ran into some trouble. Uh, 2019, I think I tried to do Midwest super slam, which was five generally flat, flatter ultras, uh, within the course of four months. And this the first is, one this is like, back
0: when I watched your channel and I didn't know who you were, but I watched yeah, that whole, nice. that whole thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He watched it implode. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, was it a didn't good story. go well. It was because, a good story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> glad it was a good story. Cause it was not terribly fun. Uh, cause I had really high hopes. Uh, and then the first race just, it was the kettle 100 in Wisconsin. And in the first 65 miles, I think there's like, uh, maybe 7,000 feet of gain or something. So it's like virtually all flat. Like you're going through, um, just like prairies, uh, and, most of the gain, there's not much, there's only like maybe 12 or 13 in the whole race, but most of it in like the last 20 miles. Um, and I didn't even make it that far because, um, I just had serious fueling issues to the point of where, um, I couldn't eat anything for just hours because I was just throwing everything back up. And it was because I wasn't trained specifically for that type of, um, like taking that type of fuel that long, uh, at a little bit higher intensity. Like I had been training, you know, at a little bit lower intensity, which was my problem. And so I don't know how much you want to get into all that, but, um, it was, that's like, that's where that whole thing unraveled because my nutrition just really fell apart. Yeah. And I I, I was also like, I was sponsored by a nutrition company. Oh, really? um, Who I won't mention, and it just didn't work out. Like things didn't. Like it was just. It was a bad decision. So Uh, would you say the the nutrition
0: that you're using, without mentioning the brand, even though I know who it is? uh, Yeah. (laughs) um, I'm sure you know who it is. Would Would you say that led you think the actual product wasn't delivering what you needed?
1: I think everybody should try a lot of nutrition products. Yeah. Uh, I think that there are certain ones that will work and won't work for, uh, for people. And I think the, you know, specifically my situation, I just, I just had something that, um, my body liked for certain things. Um, but once I, um, yeah, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't something that, um, really totally agreed with me. And so when I, when i uh, when i got into a 100 miler it just it blew up yeah and i just had big problems and so i don't, like i didn't have any like there were no like there wasn't a, like an allerg- allergic reaction or anything like that it was just like my body just didn't like it yeah and it was fine for every run up to 20 25 miles but then after that it was just kind of like okay we're done with this and that's where i started having problems during the 100 miler and yeah, yeah just for about 40 miles i didn't eat a single calorie Ooh, because yikes. I just couldn't digest anything. And then at that point, like when, like you were pretty much just like reserved to walking at that point when you've, when you haven't had anything to eat in 40 miles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was so, that your,
0: that, so was that your only DNF or had, do you have others?
1: No, I have technically, I do count that as a DNF, even though they gave me a hundred K finisher oh, medal, nice. and they, They actually counted me as a finisher for the hundred K, (laughs) but I consider that a DNF because I was there to run a hundred miles. Um, but then, so there was that. And then two weeks later I went to the Mohican 100 and, uh, it rained all night. And right before the sun was rising at like mile 82, I fell. And what I thought was I just rolled my ankle, um, but it became like so painful that I couldn't even walk on it after about another mile. And there was a medic and he was helping me. Um, And then I had some, I had some just really bad problems with it for a couple of weeks and ended up finding out after an MRI that I tore my cartilage (laughs) in my ankle. Bummer. Uh, So I guess like, you know, that's a better DNF story than I just didn't feel properly. (laughs) But uh, yeah, that was, that was a really messed up, uh time in my like i don't know i guess you would call it like athletic endeavor or pursuit or whatever um because it was it was just really really tough to be sidelined and not know why yeah i bet that's kind of like the
0: deal you get with this sport you know <laughs> you're kind of playing yeah. with fire when you're running 100 mile yeah. distances and training 70 70 miles a week uh you know something's bound to give at a certain point and guess what ryan failures make Better videos than victories. Okay, so you may have been puking yeah. your guts out, but you got some subscribers. Out
1: of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and uh, I mean, people like, yeah, I agree with that. Like, you want to see the real raw stuff. Like, yeah, you know, just like super happy, successful race story videos. I mean, they're not as they're not as entertaining as watching people suffer. I I understand that. So
0: <laughs> yeah, my my Vermont 100 video from 2019. I didn't even want to make it, but I thought like people love those stories <laughs> and I thought it would be worth sharing for like, you know, educational purposes for other people. Um, yeah. but yeah, that was brutal. 115 degrees in the, in the sun that day. Yeah. Good times. Right. Well, I got that, uh, the <sighs> yeah. Rabdo, what, what is it? Rabdo my, my, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Do you know the word? I don't know.
1: I don't know how to pronounce it either, but I know what you're talking about. Everyone just calls it rhabdo. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even know I
0: had it until I got home. Like I I had this, uh, I couldn't like quench my thirst no matter what Uh I could drink unlimited amounts and it just wouldn't go away. I just kept, I'd feel full and bloated with water, but like it wasn't absorbing. Um, and it turns out my kidneys were all jammed up from that race for like a month. I was messed up. really oh weird really bizarre
1: yeah that hurts I bet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah you know those those failures make you stronger right i think um you know the long-winded moral of the story is it's okay to walk for for beginner Mm -hmm. runners i think that's a problem with the the sport you know a lot of people get into it and they're like i'm running a 50k Mm -hmm. when in reality you're you're probably gonna hike that 50k depending on the terrain and elevation and all that Um, if it's like a, you know, around here, we have these, uh, rail rail trail races and that's like, you know, Mm -hmm. throughout 50 miles, you get 150 feet of elevation gain at that. You're probably run it sounds. I don't want to do that, (laughs) but if you got 5,000 feet in your first 50 K, you're probably going to be walking a lot of it. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And I do get that comment a lot on, uh, videos. People are like, um, I didn't realize that. Um, like you could walk in these races and stuff like that. And that, I mean, that is a learning experience. Um, I think, I mean, for the most part, I think you're forced to walk a lot of times, like you said, if there's a decent amount of vertical gain. Um, but yeah, definitely if you're jumping into your first ultra and it's flat or it's like on average, like less than a hundred feet of gain per mile, Uh, like you need to be really careful about that and really pace yourself. Um, and there's strategies like when I, uh, like some of my athletes, like when they do like Ironman races, um, there's a, definitely a strategy to the marathon, uh, at the end that can be like carried over into ultras. And it's just kind of like timing, like just doing intervals almost. Like if you, if you are running a flat ultra and you can start from the beginning just by doing like nine minutes of run, one minute walk, you know, and do that for like the first like five or six hours. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, like I've got this down or I'm fine, or maybe I need more walking or something like that. Like, but if you're not sure, just go into it from the start and have like a little bit of a plan. Don't go out and run the first 20 miles (laughs) because you're going to, you know, burn yourself up. Um, and then you might be walking the last 20.
0: (laughs) It's funny. I I was Uh, big
1: on the stage. Like you
0: mentioned, um, I'm going to run for five minutes and i'm gonna walk for one minute and that was a great way of pacing myself and then i met a guy Uh at a race and he said um this stuck with me for like the past four or five years if there's a hill that a golf ball can roll down walk up it don't run Mm -hmm. and i like that stuck with me and i still use that where there's a hill that a ball can roll down i'm gonna walk especially in the early miles where you feel great and you're like oh i'm gonna kill it Mm -hmm. and and you see people passing you it's uh it's hard not to think you can gas it and go up the hill
1: yeah and that's really good advice because um that can really help break up your run as well and i used to do that a lot too i I still like in 100 milers like i'll still do that um like any type of like slope unless it's unless it's almost nothing then i'll definitely i'll definitely just stop and take a break and walk up it um it's not that big of a deal you're going to save yourself um a little bit for later in the race, but yeah, that's definitely what, good advice.
0: What's your take on uh, uh, GPS watches for your first ultra? Do you think do you think it's necessary?
1: Um, I don't think it's necessary. I think that I think for the most part, um, GPS watches can just make things a little bit more fun. Um, like I think that. Like if you get, if you get super caught up in getting the best one or the perfect one, that could cause you extra stress that you don't need in your life. But yeah. if you, um, just watch a couple of YouTube reviews by your favorite YouTubers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, if you get one that is like decent, like, uh, it can make your training and racing a little bit more fun because you can go back after the fact and you can look at that data uh, you can look at your strava map or whatever uh, that can be fun i uh, I'd be you curious can use it run in order like, to improve like
0: long distances without a watch i i've never done it and and uh, mm-hmm. it has me thinking like as a as an experiment i should try to run you know 15 miles without a watch i don't know if it'd be good or bad because yeah. like the end could be coming sooner than you expect Or you, you finally figure out how far you've gone and it's like way further away than you expect. And at a hundred miles, imagine running a hundred without a watch. That must be really Mm -hmm. different.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I've never like, like I I said, like I kind of got into endurance sports and triathlon and in that everything's recorded. Everything possible is recorded. Um, I mean, I even went through a year or two, three years where I was recording every calorie I was eating, you know? So like, and that's just the mindset that I kind of got into endurance sports with. And so, yeah, I always use a GPS watch. Um, and I think it would be an interesting experiment, uh, to do it without, I don't really have any interest in it, but. <laughs> Cause it wouldn't go to Strava and then it doesn't count. Yeah. I mean, everyone knows that. <laughs>
0: all right so what what is uh what is one piece of gear that you wouldn't be able to tow the line without if I took one item out of your vest or off your feet well, i guess your shoes don't no, th- you can't say that
1: shoes are a given can't say shoes okay <laughs> you're gonna have shoes on um yeah i think um man that's a tough question uh like I think that um Oh man, what what do I to could be it could
0: include nutrition?
1: Yeah, it's
0: something you eat that you couldn't live without.
1: Yeah. I think for me personally, I would have a really hard time towing the line without a GoPro. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the most that's vain not for answer everybody. Could, <laughs> I know, I realize how <laughs> probably uh, probably uh, how self-absorbed that sounded, oh, but that's great. Um, you know, like I think I think for me, um, I'm really into um, like vests and like I think having a comfortable vest, uh, if you're running an ultra, um, I'm just I'm going to have a vest like I'm going to want to carry hydration on me. I'm not one of those people that likes to carry bottles in my hands. I've done it many times, not for ultras, but for 5, 10, 15 K's. Uh, I've carried bottles in my hands, but I like to have my hands empty uh, or like carrying poles if I'm like hiking like uh, on some really steep stuff. But yeah, I think having a, a good vest that is comfortable that you can rely on that can help you carry your nutrition or hydration is really important. Man, we could have a whole
0: debate on the handheld versed vest thing. That could be an entire yeah. topic for a podcast because mm-hmm. some people are so diehard on the handheld. I mean, yeah. I get it. I love handhelds. Uh, you know, I've run 50 milers with handhelds only if they're like well supported. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it makes you feel el- like you're elite because that's all you've got. Yeah. <laughs> you get your yeah. uh, two inch and seam shorts and, and a handheld and you're you're on your way. Um, but I also, yeah. I do love the security of a vest. Like you feel like you've got plenty of space if you got to pick up more stuff or you get to, you know, if you have your mm-hmm. GoPro or you want to uh, camel some more water than you realistically be able to carry with a, with just a bottle. Um, but people are really, yeah. that's a real divide in the, the, the ultra
1: sport as a whole. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know exactly why people, uh, are so diehard, uh, about handheld bottles. Um, cause for me, it just, it's like you're putting something heavy on, uh, an appendage that, like, isn't like the strongest, <laughs> like your <laughs> legs are the strongest, your chest, your core. Well, you know, your it takes the,
0: it takes the layers off your body. Like if it's hot out, it's actually pretty sweet to just, you know, you got to get your water in your hand and your yeah. free, you know, air can circulate.
1: Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's true because that's, yeah, that's true. Cause this other, on Saturday I was running with a new vest that I'm reviewing that was really hot and I wasn't a fan of that, so I could understand if someone has tried a vest and they got the wrong one, and it's like really hot. Um, that could be a really big deal. What vest was it? The Solomon? No, it was one by Camelback. Oh, it was a really good vest, and I I'm probably going to use it uh, a lot. It was just it was really hot. <laughs> yeah, um, because this... it was it was just the whole back was kind of closed um, with a like semi waterproof layer. Um, so yeah, I'll use it like through the night probably maybe at cruel jewel. Like I'll do, I'll bring a couple vests um, just to have like, cause I'm actually going to have a crew, which is nice. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I might use it. It's, it is nice how like the, um, the uh, water reservoir in the back is like just really like you can integrate it easy. Is it like the that's same, something I've always had problems with? Solomon vests. Is, is it the same
0: Camelback like, uh, water bladder with like the big round thing that opens up, and it's like stretchy blue rubber?
1: Yeah, they didn't send me one, but that's the one that fits in there. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've got a, I've got a couple of Solomon's. I really like them, but the ones that I use, the Advanced Skin Twelve and Five Set, super popular. Mm-hmm. They've got like a stretchy layer on the outside a waterproof layer in the middle and then like a padding backing to it to to like
1: mm-hmm.
0: to, for your shoulders and back in all of those combined it's very thick it feels it's super yeah. light but in the sun it's like a freaking solar panel because it's black and it's like yeah. on your back and uh, that that i feel like that led to my my dnf at vermont because of that thing mm. being on my back if i had a handheld mm-hmm maybe it would have turned out differently, but probably wouldn't have.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just got, so a couple of weeks ago, I got the Solomon sense pro five and it's kind of like a mix of their best features of their ultra vest and their advanced skin, um, vest. And I really like it a lot. Nice. So hopefully I'm trying to get a video out on it, but it's just like, I have too many videos I need to make. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. Um, so
0: I think, I think we've got some tips in here. Ryan, what do you think? You think we got some, some good tips for new, new ultra runners? I think so. (laughs) Uh, tell us where you can, where we can find you on the internet.
1: Yeah. Good question. Um, mostly I, like, I would think the first place to check me out is YouTube. Um, 10,000 subscribers. You're in, you're in the
0: big leagues. Now you're going to get, here's my prediction (laughs) for you every week one or two massage gun manufacturers are going to email you. Oh gosh.
1: That's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of happening. That's been, yeah, that like there's, I've turned down so many, I don't even know how many I've turned down massage guns. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I am starting to get more just in the last week, uh, of interesting, interesting emails.
0: <laughs> like, uh, I think my favorite is, um, somebody wanted to send me like hair curling products and -hmm. i'm like first of all look look at my head what am i curling yeah (laughs) yeah so anyways though, i really want to congratulate you on the ten thousand. uh it's pretty awesome and it's cool to see your channel grow i've been following you for a while uh and yeah so check ryan out on uh ryan clayton on youtube he's got the instagram you've got all the socials uh he's got merch Mm -hmm. now so you can buy a ryan clayton shirt it's pretty awesome yeah and uh yeah i just want to thank you for joining me today ryan and talking all things ultras we're going to try to have more of these episodes coming out in the future um if they work if people like them
1: yeah yeah awesome thanks for joining thanks for having me on it was really fun yeah man thanks